Good morning, everyone. Happy Fourth of July. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. We are delighted to have you here for worship. Old friends and new, please pick up the friendship pad and pass it to everyone in your pew. Please sign your name so that we are aware of your presence and we can all greet one another by name at the conclusion of worship. If you wish to talk to a Stephen minister confidentially, the Stephen minister on duty today is Jane Hunter, and she is available in the narthex wearing a special name tag. Take a look at the bulletin for details of upcoming events and additional announcements, um, and I would like to mention that on Thursday, July 7th, that the yoga will be meeting in the chapel at 10.30 a.m. and not at 11 a.m. as indicated. Again, Thursday yoga will be at 10.30 and not 11 a.m. Please join us for refreshments and fellowship hall at the end of worship. We will begin our service with a prelude. What we get to start with is our traditional summer hymn sing. And I know that many of you are wearing red, white, and blue today, and you've already looked through the bulletin and said, why didn't Carrie put Oh Beautiful for Spacious Skies? Well, I, put it, I didn't put it because I knew you were going to ask for it. If you're looking for that section, it starts at 336. Go ahead and flip. 336 to 346 has those lovely hymns that we tend to associate with our patriotic urges. And I want to encourage you to look at not just um, My Country Tis of Thee or Oh Beautiful for Spacious Skies, but there are some really great hymns here, like Lift Every Voice and Sing. And we've also gotten into This Is My Song. And you heard a couple weeks ago, Oh God, Show Mercy to Us. There are some fabulous, fabulous hymns here. So I happen to know that we have a request from the Valentes. What would that be? 338. So can we do the first and last verse of 338? Welcome. Go, Mr. McCready. 337. 
337. Why not? Let's just continue the trend. First and last verse, please. Okay, let's do it. We're just going to continue a trend here. This will be our last one, so sing it with gustos, friends. First and last verse, please. Friends, thank you for joining us in our traditional hymn sing. Think about what you'd like to enjoy next week, and I want to give you advanced billing. Wait until you hear Pem Tyler bring us the word. So excited about this. Friends, please join me in our responsive call to worship. Sing praises to our Lord. Sing praises to our Lord, faithful children of God. Sing praises to our Lord, faithful children of God, and give thanks to God's holy name. Let us worship God.
please pray with me? O God, who grants us life and free will to celebrate it, we give you thanks for having redeemed your whole creation through the work and person of your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you for sharing your love and mercy with a strife-torn world. We thank you for answering our supplications and plentiful, and we thank you for guiding us through transitions, reminding us of our unity in you and confronting us when we stumble. May we wholeheartedly share that graciousness with others and enlarge the harvest. Amen. you ever think, I'm not so bad? Well, you know what? Romans tells us something else again. It's 3.23 in your Bible. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's what we do next for a very good reason. <clears throat> Unlike ours, God's anger does not last, but God's favor, God's grace, God's forgiveness are all for us, not just for this moment, but forever. How can we not want to confess to such a one who is ready to heal us? Please join me as we pray, saying, Holy One, why is it we can grow so weary of doing what is right, yet always energetically do what is harmful to us and others? We sow seeds of hurt and anger and wonder why we harvest so much bitterness. We spend too much time comparing ourselves to those around us and too few moments in following Christ's example. Rather than dwelling in our misery, healing God, we could open ourselves to your mercy and grace. And as you reach out to heal us with your forgiveness, May we embrace your love, your mercy, and your grace for our lives. As we pour out the spirit of gentleness, may we exude to everyone the peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you wonder where you find the guidelines for your life, what is sin and what isn't, I suggest to you that you start with the Ten Commandments, Read those through a couple times this week. And then in Galatians, we could read through about the fruits of the Spirit. These are the things that God wants us to try and constantly work for in his glory. So consider those this week. Read it a couple times, and when you come back next week, we'll be ready to look at this again. In the meantime, by the cross and the resurrection of Christ, who have been orphaned by sin, may be assured that we are adopted by God. We are forgiven, and with the sign of our baptism, granted a place of belonging in a family. This grace we choose to receive by faith, and to to, to our lives rejoicing. Glory to God. Amen.
be seated, friends. Our Old Testament lesson for today is taken from 2 Kings chapter 5. This is our fifth lectionary story about the prophets Elijah and Elisha. This one is about Elisha, E-L-I-S-H-A. And this one is told to the northern kingdom of Israel. You might recall that nine centuries approximately before the birth of Christ, there had been divided kingdoms. And northern Israel and southern Judah were constantly being bombarded by those who would want to overtake them. And they had a series of good and bad kings that were told about in the, in the chapters of Chronicles and First and Second Kings. We now come upon this story where we're going to hear about Naaman, that great commander of the armies of Assyria, just to the north of northern Israel, that nation that had been bothering northern Israel for some time. And it's approximately located where today's modern Syria is. So if that gives you some context and you can think about the conflicts that still wage in that tepid area, then you'll understand as we go into this text. I invite you to hear God's word to each one of us. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy on his skin. Now the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought to the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be made clean. But Naaman became angry and said, I thought that for me... He would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and he would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned away and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and immersed himself seven times in the river Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, 
It was clean. The miraculous word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pretty good story, huh? Lots of people who intervened along the way. And we can have lots of people intervening in our own lives, can't we? I'm grateful for the intervention of these beautiful women up here. Kay, Jane, and Carol, thank you for helping us to lead worship this morning. It means so much to me that you're helping out this morning. And giving your testimony means a lot. And we have beautiful women up in the balcony, but you can't see them. I can. Pat Miller and Dee Dee Holmes are going to help us out. Bruce, you're not so bad looking yourself up there, sir. <laughs> Thanks for being here. <laughs> we have some other folks who can help me intervene this morning. I see Miss Hadley, and I don't know whether or not she wants to come forward or just play. Why don't we just play? Bachman's, Mitchell's, is it okay if we just play? You guys stay there. And we'll talk to the whole congregation in this mouse report. Because I think this is something that all of you want to know about. What was happening to the prophet Elisha and this leader, of the, of, the, of the warrior battle of Aram. What was happening to Naaman? Think for a moment about the last time that you were sick or in the hospital or just feeling completely under the weather for whatever reason it might be. What started bringing you healing? This is the mouse report. You're allowed to talk back to the pastor. <laughs> what started you healing? Prayer. Prayer. Awesome. What else helped? Did anybody bring by Jewish penicillin? Chicken soup. What else helped? Cards. What else helped? Kisses? Absolutely, Kathy. I love it. Kisses, right? What else helped? Family. Right. So we've got prayers. We've got caring of people dropping by. We've got family. We've got all these things that are helping us. Did you notice that it took not one, not two, not three, but seven people intervening in Naaman's life to make it so that he could be healed? All these individual touches, and they make an enormous difference. I want you to never doubt the part that each one of us can play in healing one another. We may think it's insignificant, but that card that comes in the mail makes an enormous difference. It reminds us, I'm not the only one out there. How many of you, when you've gone into a situation that you never thought you'd be in before, Googled that and looked for a support group online or some kind of information, right? People find that there are others out there who have been there. Naaman needed to know he wasn't alone. And God sent seven people to intervene in his life. So how can you intervene today? How are you going to be those helping hands? How will you be the one who brings in God's harvest? Think about it, friends, and know that God is thinking about it with you and has some good ideas if we come in prayer to find out about them. Thanks be to God. Now, for those of you who do want to go and play with Tyler Logan and enjoy Sunday worship in a different fashion, I invite you to do so.
We have sung this hymn a couple times in these past few weeks, largely because it was a request and because, as you noted in the bulletin, the ringers who were here from Ledoux Chapel also gave us their version of it. And I find it fascinating that it shows us yet another way that we can be those helping hands intervening on behalf of others. We have a text today from Galatians chapter 6. We're continuing again with the understanding that Paul writes to those churches in Galatia, and he's writing to encourage them and us. I invite you to hear God's word. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. And all must test their own work, then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with the teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For at harvest time, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. See what large letters I make when I am writing in my own hand? It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not they themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. As for those who will follow this rule, peace be upon them and mercy by all from the living God of Israel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sir. Love it. Thank you, Bruce.
And this morning's redemptive word is taken from Luke's gospel. You might recall that Jesus in previous lections has turned his face to Jerusalem. He's had an opportunity to gather his disciples and his apostles. He's been teaching them all the way along, and they've had a wonderful opportunity throughout Galilee to test their abilities and the things that Jesus was teaching them. But now Jesus knows that he's coming up on the Passion Week. And so turning his face to Jerusalem means, I need to make certain that my disciples know what I really mean. They need to understand what it is to be sent, to be apostles, to be apostolos, to go out into the world and to share. You might wonder, for example, why during the summer do we have these colors up front? Why is it green? Why is it not red or blue or purple or white? Well, we are in ordinary time, not boring time, friends, but ordinary time, that which is ordered, ordered by the seasons, ordered by the cycle of life. And you know from the time of being a lovely baby where you're cared for and being a young person where you're taught, you get to that cycle of life where you then get to be the one who is sharing, producing, giving, intervening. We're in that time of the church calendar when we talk about those ways where we as mature Christians get to share and be sent. So I invite you to hear God's sending word to each one of us in the gospel. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others beyond the 12 apostles and sent them on ahead in pairs to every town and place where Jesus himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves, carrying no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace on this house. And if anyone is there who shares in your peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, The kingdom of God is at hand. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of heaven, The kingdom of God was at hand. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. And Jesus said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I've given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and overpower of all the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is, my friend, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Today's July 3rd, obviously. Two years ago and one day, Louis Zamperini died. Does that name sound familiar to you? If it does, it's because you've read or seen Laura Hillenbrand's version, Unbroken, right? Louis Zamperini was a World War II hero and a former Olympic track star. He survived a plane crash in the Pacific Ocean. He was on a raft with two of his fellow soldiers for 47 days, and one of the soldiers during that time passed away. And then he survived more than two and a half years in three different Japanese prison camps under brutal conditions. After years of severe post-traumatic stress, Louis made good on his promise to serve God, a decision that he credited with saving his life, not just that unbroken spirit of his, but the promise to truly follow God. You see, as an immigrant Italian, he and his family, who didn't speak any English when they arrived, he was raised in a very strict Roman Catholic household with his older brother and two sisters. He prayed often while drifting on the raft and during the torture of his captivity. But upon his release, he found himself consumed with anger and bitterness. And trying to forget the torment, he turned to drinking. And that wasn't working. So when his wife urged him to attend a Billy Graham crusade, he went. And he committed himself to the following his Lord and Savior, whom he had known all of his life but didn't truly understand how to follow. Motivated by his faith, Louis came to see that the only way forward was through forgiveness, not the revenge and the anger that he had been giving vent to for so very long. He returned to Japan where he found and made peace with his former prison guards, but only his infamously cruel captor, who was nicknamed the Bird, refused to meet with him. Those who did take the time to meet with Zamperini, were stunned by his sincere interest in sharing God's grace with them. Just as Zamperini had inspired his fellow captives to persevere, he zealously encouraged his former enemies to be a part of God's kingdom, right here and now, not in some unknown afterlife, but right near and now. And recognized by the International Olympic Committee as a light that shines through oppressive darkness, Zamperini was invited to bear the Olympic torch on, it, on a leg of its journey to the 1996 Olympics, which were held in Nagano. And he ran at age 80. He ran in his second Olympics. He had dreamed about it his entire life. He ran with that torch not far from the cap where he had been held captive so many years ago. Louis Zamperini, born in Olean, New York, in 1917, died from pneumonia, two years and just a day ago. Well, as Paul wrote to us in the letter to the Galatians, Zamperini did not give up. He did not grow weary in doing what is right, and he reaped at harvest time. Now, this metaphor of the harvest appears twice in our lectionary readings for today. In Luke 10:2, Jesus tells the disciples, The harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into the harvest. And in Galatians 6, 9, Paul writes, Let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So what do you think the harvest is? 
Lots of commentators have written about it. Some interpreters believe that the harvest is meant to be Israel, while others would say that it's those who are to be saved. Today we find that harvest terminology of us and them problematic because it tries to separate us and say there's definitely one group that's us and definitely one group that's them. Some are in, some are out. Others find the the language a stumbling block for interreligious dialogue in today's pluralistic society. Now these questions are important, but they focus on a stereotype of the word harvest, classifying whole groups of humanity as either winners or losers. I want to encourage us instead to think about harvest as a ripening and reaping of each human individual, each of us who can grow in wisdom and spiritual maturity so that that harvest metaphor doesn't carry some broad brush stroke that says you're either in or out. It's up to us as each individual to grow in wisdom and spiritual maturity. And we grow in that wisdom and spiritual maturity when we do as God commanded us. We reject worldly power, status, and wealth. Those aren't the goals that should be motivating us, but grasp for those spiritual goals that drive us on towards being better humanity to each one of our brothers and sisters. Each of us can be the ripe harvest when we come to spiritual maturity and allow ourselves, by God's grace, to be reaped into the kingdom of God. We can each be harvest hands when we grasp the kingdom at hand. And when we grasp the kingdom at hand, we recognize we have free will to make choices in our own lives. And God gives us this great gift of free will. It's what our Reformed tradition stands upon, free will. This grace gives us extraordinary freedom. Even with this grace that's given to us, we don't as easily give that grace to other people so that they can make their own choices. We hoard the harvest for ourselves, just as if we were stockpiling it in silos with no intention whatsoever of sharing. And history, like our Revolutionary War and the anniversary of our independence, which we're celebrating this glorious weekend, tells us that humanity doesn't like it so much when we try to hoard harvests. We all know the story of the pilgrims, right? Men and women who wanted to govern themselves and worship in their own fashion. Did you know that religious freedom was not guaranteed in the Declaration of Independence? Think about it. What are those words that we repeat so often? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, amongst them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Nothing there about religious freedom, right? For that, we had to wait until Thomas Jefferson. And what he did after the Declaration of Independence was write something beyond that, first for the Commonwealth of Virginia, and then for us as our Bill of Rights. Because at the time... There were still states that were being segregated. For example, Maryland was Catholic. Virginia was Episcopalian. But Jefferson, along with James Madison, persuaded the Virginia General Assembly to pass a bill establishing religious freedom. And this eventually served as the blueprint for our First Amendment in the Bill of Rights. God's harvest of the kingdom at hand has been richly richly reaped on these shores But it's not something for us to hoard, friends. It's something that we get the privilege of sharing. 
God's harvest also includes seeds for tomorrow's crops. Jesus was trying to show those who followed him how to sow those seeds for subsequent harvests. Did you notice at the beginning of today's text that Jesus sent out an additional 70 persons? He sent them out ahead of them in pairs to every town and village before he was going to get to them. They were sort of the warm-up band for when he got there, right? And he could headline. So why does Luke say that there were 70? You know in the Bible that numbers are significant. 70 is pointing back to the 70 elders in Israel mentioned in Exodus, or the table of nations in Genesis, again pointing to a pluralistic and multi-ethnic society and world, and that one's mentioned in Genesis 10. Those 70 elders also foreshadow the time when the larger circle of disciples will bring the message of the kingdom to the ends of the earth, as the beginning of Acts tells us. So those 70, that number 70 is significant, pointing to things that have happened in the past and pointing us to the opportunity to spread the gospel in the future. Now, why did Jesus send the 70 out in pairs? Why couldn't he have sent them out in apples? Why couldn't he have sent them out by themselves? What do you think about it? If you're going to change the world, is it easier to do it by yourself or with somebody else? Somebody else, right? Batman had Robin. Thelma had Louise. We've got to have somebody with us when we do these things. And the 70 had each other, so they could lean on me. Jesus warns the 70 that he is sending them out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Jesus instructs the 70 to rely on the hospitality of strangers. He tells them, say peace upon entering a house. Unconditional acceptance is the gift that we offer to others. How many times have you walked up to somebody saying that you're going to introduce yourself, thinking, okay, I have to do one-up on this person, right? What about the opportunity to just walk up and offer unconditional peace to somebody else? Doesn't that bring the blood pressure down in meeting somebody, right? But if rejected, when we've walked into a new town or a new situation, we're not supposed to take it personally. Let people know that the kingdom of God is at hand and move on. Offer that peace to somebody else and see where that peace rests. Now, does being a lamb sent out amongst the midst of wolves, does that sound easy? Not to me, not in the least. Offering unconditional acceptance risks my own rejection. Being a lamb amongst wolves is counter to everything that is taught to us in this world of self-preservation, isn't it? In a world where grace is the exception to the norm, unconditional acceptance can be downright dangerous. Notice that Jesus doesn't promise that this is going to be easy, friends. But he does say... He was given us authority over the power of the enemy. We've each got authority. We each within us has that Holy Spirit so that the enemy cannot touch us. That's what Luke's gospel says. You won't be hurt. Here Jesus reminds us that we are not powerless. In the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, which we use when we baptize babies, Jesus tells us that he will be with us even to the end of the age. 
Being a lamb amongst wolves might not be easy, but we do it with God's power over the enemy and the company of Jesus all the way to the end of the age. Now, with that locker room coaching speech that I've just given you to go out and get them, I want to warn you that even with these gracious gifts, bad things can still happen to good people showing spiritual maturity. We've all experienced this dose of reality at one point or another in our lives. Louis Zamperini certainly knew bad things could happen to good people. And yet, he chose to forgive and share the harvest. And he reaped that harvest at the end of his age. Now, philosophers and theologians since the beginning of time have tried to answer the question that we know as theologians called theodicy, why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, two early Christian thinkers took different approaches to the answer. Augustine argues that God gives humanity free will. Hence, bad things happen when fallible human beings make poor choices. By contrast, second century theologian Irenaeus, Laura, you know about him, right? Irenaeus posits that God directs the situations we encounter. And Irenaeus maintains that the spiritual and moral development of humanity occurs in these situations as a way of fulfilling God's perfection and good purpose. Personally, I have a hard time believing Irenaeus's point of view because I don't think that God does bad things to people. I really don't. If God declared all of God's creation very good on the sixth day in Genesis 1.31, how could God do bad things to us? It's like looking down and saying, Randy, I'm going to zap you in particular because your bride's up here and it's okay for me to zap you, right? That doesn't work. I don't think so. God doesn't do that to us. Everyone lives out a life of free will. We all have the privilege to make decisions from the free will that God gives us. Sometimes the decisions that we make are good, just, altruistic, wise, and kind. Sometimes those decisions are bad, biased, selfish, foolish, and downright mean. At all times, these decisions have consequences, not just for ourselves, but for those around us as the impact ripples out in waves. So imagine all of those decisions gathering together and what a tidal surge you can get as those decisions ripple outwards. If the movies playing in each one of our minds have us as the starring character, the protagonist and the hero, we envision ourselves always making the right decision, inspiring others and leading us to the triumphant swelling music as the credits play at the end of the movie, right? Don't we all like to star in our own movies? Sadly, life doesn't work out that way. We all know that. When we're sad, angry, hurting, worried, or tired, the decisions we make are less than stellar. And the consequences, well, friends, they're just not very good. As the consequences of all of our decisions accumulate, they compound into these tidal waves of destruction, death. And this accumulation of poor decisions does not lead to the happy ever after Disney ending that we're all hoping for. You might know this saying. A rising tide lifts all boats. The opposite is true. 
Because when we each individually make poor choices from our lonely places of pain, jealousy, ennui, and dissatisfaction, we're not lifting the tide. We're letting it go out to sea. We can lament, why do bad things happen to good people? Why are we being swept away in a rancorous environment of negative rhetoric, reality TV smackdowns, road rage, terrorism, and the gun violence that we read about every day? Every day. Where's the hope? Where's the peace? The unconditional acceptance that Jesus tells us to offer others. Well, it's right there in the text, friends. Jesus tells us that, uh, where the hope is twice in this passage. Verses 9 and 11 say, The kingdom of God is at hand. Reach out and grasp it, friends. The kingdom of God is right there. The fruits of the Spirit are there. Peace, joy, love, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, humility, and self-control. They're there for the picking. When we are that ripe harvest, we get to reap the fruits of the Spirit. The kingdom of God is at hand. Those who are sent, the 70 and us, to be harvest hands, have far greater impact than we might expect. We are part of that rising tide. We are the laborers, the harvest hands, who gave God's gift of free will to choose offering peace upon all that we encounter. And when God's peace is rejected, we just move on and offer it unconditionally elsewhere. Now this concept of harvest hands, laborers offering God's peace and unconditionally accepting what is offered in return, is not limited to the teachings of the New Testament. We heard about it this morning as well with Naaman, because he had harvest hands, seven individuals helping him out to get to the decision that he needed to be healed. What God has done for us, not what we have done for God, is the reason that we have to rejoice. So we've answered the why question. Now we get to answer the how question. How can we encourage more people to become harvest hands? Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We get that part. We know that the harvest is each of us individually coming to that spiritual maturity and grasping the fruit that's right there with the kingdom at hand. But listen to the following line. Therefore, therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. We are to ask God to send out more followers. We get to invite more people to realize that the kingdom of God is right there. Pluck for the picking. Right there. Ripe and ready for us. We are to ask God to bless us. Everyone. Not just the people who look, talk, and act like us, but everyone in God's creation. Even those who imprison Louis Zamperini in Japan. Even those dancing in an Orlando nightclub, even those whose religious profession or practices are different in some way from others, or if they have none at all, even those whose heritage is different from ours. Because the whole of God's creation is the harvest, and we must play our part in sowing the seeds and inviting others to be potential harvest hands. By asking God's blessing on everyone, we ask God to send laborers into the harvest. 
And those laborers come from everywhere. Scripture tells us they will come from east and west and north and south to sit at table in the kingdom of God. And we have an opportunity to play a part every time we take communion, every time we practice the art of baptism or the the reaffirmation of our own baptismal covenant. Every time we do these things, we invite others to be harvest hands and reap that harvest. And when we ask God's blessing upon everyone, we might just find ourselves celebrating not just this weekend, the 4th of July, and the freedom that we have, but Christmas right here in July. Do you remember Dickens when Tiny Tim said, God bless us, everyone. May we be a blessing to others so that we might add to the harvest hands. Amen. In gratitude for God's gifts, we dedicate these first fruits using this printed prayer. God of peace and love, your way commands our obedience. We can do nothing apart from the blessings you bestow. We offer our lives and these gifts to you. We pray that the work of your church may be enlarged, enriched, and strengthened as it seeks to do your will and to show compassion, justice, and mercy in our world of need. Accept what we bring and multiply its effectiveness through Christ our Lord. Amen.
seekers of wisdom, your signs and witnesses in every age with people from every place to worship him. We praise you that in him we became children of God, baptized into your service. You are holy, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Sent to be our Savior, he took our flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. His touch brings healing. To all who follow him, he gives abundant life. And so, remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this wine from the gifts that you have given us, and we celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. We ask that you would accept this, our service of praise and thanksgiving, as a living and holy offering of ourselves. And we look to you to live lives looking for and finding your grace. So just as we were told in Scripture, our Lord and Savior on the night of his arrest took a simple loaf of bread, and after he had given thanks for it, he broke it. And he gave it to each one of his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In gratitude and obedience, we do.
much the same way after the supper, our Lord and Savior took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. We're reminded that each time we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we do proclaim our Lord's saving death until he comes again. My friends, you'll notice in our bulletin that we get to be serenaded once again. But after they have finished their verse about the wine, we get to share in singing with one another. So please join us in verse 3, which you will find printed in your bulletin. The gifts of God for the people of God.
Friends, we give thanks and praise for the beautiful flowers behind me. They are given by the Bachmans in loving memory and gratitude for their parents. And we're thankful for the ways that God's grace continues to exude across generations. You might also want to know that Dick and Martha Crawford celebrated their 60th anniversary this week. And so we wish them great joy in continuing those years together. Phil Tinder, for whom we prayed last week, did indeed recover from his stroke, for which we give thanks and praise, and he has moved to Aaron Manor in Fairport and is doing quite well there. We also are in prayer for Dan and Jeanette Henderson Harrison's adopted grandparents. Many of you might have met Jean and Bob Lonergan when they come and visit them. Jean had a stroke earlier this week. Thankfully, she is responding well to the medications afterwards, but we are keeping them in prayer. And friends, it's always joyful to see any number of visitors and guests with us. We're praying for the Bokes as they're away on vacation, but we're also grateful to see Bruce's sister and brother-in-law here as they make their annual pilgrimage to Pittsburgh. May you enjoy all that this area has to offer. Because we know, as hardy Rochesterians, that there's a lot of wonderful things right here in our hometown. Friends, please join me in prayer. God of grace, we thank you for having renewed us at your table with the bread of life. May this food strengthen us in love and trusting you. Help us to live, O oh God, and to love urgently and unconditionally as Christ loved. As this grace-filled bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world, to encourage others to be harvest hands, and to reap for ourselves the kingdom that is right here at hand. Get us gently ready for all the joyful opportunities that stretch before us, and by your Spirit, unite us with the living Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, so that you might continue your enjoyment of Western New York, let us encourage one another to sing verses 1 and 4 of our closing hymn and go out and share God's glory.
world in peace, offering that unconditional peace wherever you rest. Have courage. Hold fast to what is good, grasping on to the harvest at hand. Return no one for evil for evil. Encourage the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering. Honor all people and all creation. And above all, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may God, the Father, Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer, go with us, each one of us, this day and forevermore. Amen.